This podcast has been produced as an educational resource for health professionals. It is recommended that people with concerns about their vision and eye health seek care from an appropriate health professional to support accurate diagnosis and management of any conditions. Welcome to the Optometry Australia Institute of Excellence podcast. We are committed to offer you quality, personalised education via a range of media, and every episode of this podcast will be worth CPD hours. Your host is Optometry Australia's Professional Development Manager, Simon Hanna. In each episode, Simon will be joined by a variety of interesting guests to discuss an array of appealing topics. Enjoy this episode of the podcast. Welcome to another Institute podcast episode brought to you today by Optometry Australia's Institute of Excellence. Optometry Australia are very excited to bring you this channel of shorter CPD modules on varying themes and topics. My name is Simon Hanna, Professional Development Manager at Optometry Australia, and I'll be your host today. Really pleased to have with, with us today uh, Paul Gravison from Hobart. Um, Paul, most of you all know his work, his life's work has been uh, primarily in the area of low vision um, and, and caring for those in aged care and, 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 uh, and that sort of space. Um, and he's, he's provided us with some of his valuable time today from all the way from Hobart. How are you going, Paul? Yeah, good, good. Really pleased to be here. Thanks, Simon. Thank you very much. And nice to have you. Thanks for joining us today. Look, before we get into kind of, I guess, the, the specifics, talking tell our listeners a little bit about your sort of your professional journey, sort of, you know, where you've come from and sort of where you've landed. Um, yeah, well, it's not not the way that I thought I was going to go. When I was at university, I kind of thought I'd end up doing specialist contact lenses and whiz-bang keratoconus and stuff like that. And it just, it didn't turn out that way. Um I was pretty much just a general optometrist for the first, what would it be, 10 years of my career, um, and then uh, got volunteered by a workmate who had uh, been involved in a low vision clinic. He was retiring, and he said, you'd be perfect to take over my spot. And I've never actually been sure whether he saw anything in me or whether <laughs> it was just I was the like the most junior person in the company. And so um, I just got fell into your lap. Um, but yeah, he got, he volunteered me to start work at the low vision clinic at the Royal Hobart hospital. And, mm-hmm. and that was it really. I've been there for 20 years now. Um, yeah. I discovered I had a, an aptitude for it. And um, later on uh, did a bit of study as part of my, I was doing a master's before that got too hard with having kids, but uh, did it, did the low vision subject. And then I've kind of um, spent a lot of time just developing my ideas in that and putting that mm. together, putting the theory together with my experience and kind of figuring out where it doesn't quite fit and where it does. And then um, kind of come up with my own thinking on that. Um, yeah. Lectured a fair bit um, and, but kind of got, felt that, Lecturing only has a very limited um, audience in that you have to always start from scratch. You don't have the yeah. same people. They don't have the same grounding. Yeah. So I've tended to move more towards doing articles and then setting up a website. Wow. Okay. So it's sort of you've come sort of full circle. And it's interesting you talk about sort of, you know, being sort of general practice or general optometry. And uh, and look, for, for most, of, most of our listeners who are probably in that sort of general optometry basket, 
um, they see a patient that comes in, that patient has sort of low vision or vision that they can't quite get down to that 66648, all of a sudden they go, oh, this patient's low vision, they scratch their heads and they go, oh, this is going to be a little bit too hard. But you never shied away from that. They never kind of never kind of deterred you um, when it sort of, when you, when you saw the low vision patients, you kind of tackled head on? No, it's, um, the thing with, with it is, well, it's partly it's, I like a challenge. Um, and, uh, but, but one of the things you really have to reconcile yourself to when you're working in low vision is that you can't go, okay, the success mark is 6.648 or 666 even, you know, and in fact, it's not even a visual acuity target at all, or a particular thing they have to achieve. You just, low vision is very, very much about listening to your patient and what they need to be able to do what they're telling you and interpreting that for them in figuring out what's in the realm of the possible and helping them through to a space where they can achieve it. And I mean, all of optometry should be holistic, but I think low vision is kind of the area where you really, really have to be holistic. You really have to work with the whole patient. Yeah. It's, it's not just about their eyes, but you're right. It's about everything else that, 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 that impacts as well. So, I mean, Looking at that, I guess if somebody was listening to us now and they sort of their practice doesn't see many low vision patients or they've started to get more walking through the door, um, I guess what would you what would you tell someone who wanted to get started in this space? What are the sort of what are the sort of pitfalls that you faced in the beginning, or what are the sort of things that you kind of looked out for, sort of that you might be able to share some advice on? Well, are you aware of the eighty twenty rule? Yes. Uh, yeah, so low vision is just the same. So 80% of the stuff can be done with 20% of the, the knowledge and effort. Yep. And then the other remaining 20% is 80% of your time and effort. And, it you know, it's yep. like contact lenses. Um, you know, if, you, if you're doing soft spheres, uh, disposable spheres, then you're actually covering half of what you need to do. And it's dead. The other stuff. Um, you don't have to um, be able to do uh, scleral lenses for keratoconics um, in order to do soft spheres for yep. your general myope. So yep. start with the easy stuff. Um, really, a lot of it's about understanding the nature of the problem. Um, and, and you need to really realise that you need to listen to what your patient's saying. Don't Don't go... It's the VA because we know that visual acuity is one of the least useful measures of yep. visual function when you're dealing with a pathological eye. Um, and so you really need to get away from that and listen to your patient. And if you understand the nature of vision, visual function and visual dysfunction, and you know, for optometrists, that's our specialty. Ophthalmologists don't understand it the way that yeah. optometrists do. So this, this is our thing. Um, and so if you understand what's going on and you can pick up on the, the what the patient's telling you, then you know what to look for and you know how to deal with it. Um, I'll, I'll, I'll say go to my website because there's mm-hmm. a lot of preamble about tell that. Us, tell us what it is. For the general optometrist. Um, what's, the, what's the link for? Oh, understandinglowvision.com. Easy. Yep. Understandinglowvision.com. Yep. 
but if if you're thinking, all right, well, what what is the easy stuff? There's there's kind of four situations where if you're a general optometrist, four things that if you can watch out for, then they're the equivalent of kind of doing your soft spheres. Yeah. Um, one is spot reading tasks when the visual acuity is poor. So by that, I mean spot reading. I mean things like I need to read a price tag, I need to read a food label, I need to very slowly be able to work through a letter that I've received. Um, and so really your illuminated handheld magnifiers are generally pretty effective at that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're pretty simple. If you've got a range of like the Eschenbach Mobilux LED, they're brilliant magnifiers, the Schweitzer ones as well, as long as they've got a light in them, then if you've got a range of the lower magnifications and maybe a couple of the higher magnifications, then you're pretty well sorted for that sort of Mm. thing. Um, Then the other one is one you really have to be switched on for good visual acuity, but they're complaining of really poor reading comfort, comfort and fluency. And this is the situation where you really never trust a good visual acuity. You know, if if they've got a bad visual acuity, you know something's wrong. But if they've got 6.5, they can still have really rubbish macular areas because the the fovea is often spared, particularly with geographic atrophy, until quite Mm -hmm. late. So they're going to be complaining to you, sitting in their chair complaining about these new reading glasses that your colleague has prescribed because they just don't work. And you're going, well, dude, you're reading high contrast 6.6, you're reading N5 print slowly, you must be able to read normal print quickly, but of course they can't because of the macular problem. So you need to be listening out for those symptoms. And then really that's a good one to be having a magnifier lamp that you can demonstrate to them, which gives them Mm -hmm. that really good illumination and a wide field of view. Um, or if you can talk to them about switching to using using an iPad to read a book, um, by that I mean an e-book, boy, you'll help them so much. Yeah. Um, third one is when you're dealing with a ring scotoma, a proper ring scotoma, being being aware of that because that's one where you might have 6-9 vision, but they're actually virtually legally blind because all the rest of their macula is gone. Um, and, you know, this is a pretty common situation. Mm. Uh, it's not one that you can really treat very easily, but it's a really big part of understanding, uh, under, recognising a difficult situation. Um, mm-hmm. And that's where you need to get them onto a low vision clinic. Uh, just recognising that is hugely powerful. And um, really the, the last one is having being able to figure out when nothing's going to help them. Yeah, And a really good, ideally what you'd have is a, a large screen CCTV in your room for that because you can ramp up the print to, you know, 12 times. And if they're not reading it on 12 times high contrast, then, you know, nothing's really going to work. Um, of course, most people don't have access to a CCTV magnifier, but you can do the same just having a PDF of some large print that you put on your um, consult room computer and zoom it right up so that, you know, one word fills the screen and sit them in front of it and go, can you read that? And if they can't read it or only barely, 
you're you're not going to really send them to the low vision clinic as such they really need a lot of support from places in australia or rsb but it's not going to be don't waste your time giving them magnifiers okay i think they've been really good those sort of top four top four uh things that are sort of 80 percent. while we've got you talking about that maybe if you can tell our listeners a little bit about the 20 percent, so that the more difficult things the things that they kind of even you sort of go oh let's just kind of pause for a minute here just to give us some insight into the more complex challenges of low vision care yeah look that that that's a really difficult one um i mean the the, the things that are really difficult often relate to combinations so people who have got um a certain degree of low vision but they've got parkinson's or a lot of ocular surface disease or they've only got one hand so they can't hold oh, a course, and yep. navigate it through text or they've uh uh they've they've got a parkinson's tremor so they can't use a, mm. a or they've got a bit of dementia and they can't pick up new skills so it's often yeah. those things around mm. the problem that that that's where things get holistic and you really need to work on what is the possible um once you're starting to deal with a lot of peripheral loss, then you'd certainly need to get mobility instructors involved. And yeah. I don't do that sort of thing. That's where I collaborate with uh, down here in Tasmania, it's visibility, but around the rest of the country, it's going to be um, Vision Australia or RSB, that sort yep. of thing, guide dogs. Yeah. Um it is nice being able to move into the large screen CCTVs, electronic magnifiers, really fix up a lot of problems that are mm-hmm. unsolvable with optical magnifiers. And the price of them isn't really hugely coming down, but um, the acceptance of them is really going up because we've got the boomers moving into the peak low vision yeah okay uh, good point now. and they're yeah. a lot less scared of technology yep. uh, and they're a lot less willing to just go oh i'm old what do you expect they're like well, mm. give me, if, if there's something even if it's expensive mm. you know yep. then they're much more worth doing yeah and so yeah we can do a lot more with that sort of thing and we've we've got a lot of text-to-speech starting to come through as well yeah, okay which is not always easy but sometimes can be just magic Okay. Um, I can hear a lot of people listening to us, Paul, going, yeah, yeah, that's all fine, but it's not going to keep my practice open. It's going to cost too much, a lot of chair time involved. Can you can you talk to us a little bit without divulging anything you don't want to, but just tell us a little bit about how do we make a practice sustainable providing yeah. this kind of care? Look, I agree. It, it, it is a real challenge. Um, I work in a hospital setting, so I'm being paid for my time beyond over and above just Medicare. Mm. Medicare's been a part of the, the problem in many ways because, you know, low vision care is time intensive. And Medicare, um, for a very, very long time, maxed out at your standard consult. Um, so for... Um, Many years now, we've had the 10942, which does give you a bit of extra for your time. Um, but the damage has already been done there. That low vision, while it became a you know recognised subspecialty in in part in in 
places like the USA, for instance, you know, just as recognised as doing contact lens work or binocular vision work, or um, it's never really been a thing in Australia the way it is in other places. And um, so it can be a bit lonely. I mean, the, the demands are there just as much as everywhere else. Um, that combined with the fact that even though we can charge for our time, um, still overwhelmingly the culture of optometry is bulk billing. And in theory, you could say, well, look, I'm going to do you a um, one-hour consult and I'm going to charge you X amount for it. Optometrists aren't really used to that. So, yes, look, because our, our fees aren't capped, you know, we, we, in theory, we could all be saying, being low vision optometrists and going, look, you know, it's a one-hour consult and I'm going to charge you, you know, this much, the equivalent of two half-hour consults for a low vision consult. Um, but the reality is we're just not, as an industry, really very practised in asking for yeah. money. You know, I've, I've been dealing with um, my father-in-law passed away and we've been dealing a lot with the lawyers. And, mm. you know, it's actually kind of astounding just how <laughs> open and upfront they are with going, right, well, you know, we're, we're charging you $250 an hour for our time and the time starts now and we'll charge you for everything we do. Yeah, pretty brazen, and, pretty, pretty, pretty bold. Yeah, yeah, but, you know, there's no reason why optometrists should be being paid any less than lawyers for our time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're, we're just, we're, we feel awkward about yeah. it. Yeah, it's, uh, a, it's a culture. It's a culture, I think. It's very much a cultural thing. We have little experience of actually going, right, um, you know, you are, we, we've finished our consult and now here's all this money you have to give us. We're used yeah. to that for glasses. We used to selling really very expensive glasses and not being apologetic about it. But, but not our time. Um, time is a different thing. Yeah. Um, lot, lack of health fund rebates for low vision mm. aims is a real is, is a barrier. I mean, there's a health yep. there's a, there's an item number for health for there health is. funds. There is. But I don't know of a health fund that pays anything on them. So that's a, that's a, a, an annoyance. Um, and look, I think that there's a little bit of an. Uh, uh, at least the impression I got at university was that it was all about formulae and it was really complicated and I had to be able to yeah. you know, calculate logma this and uh, yeah. you know, field of view that and equivalent magnification this. And it, all got, it all got too hard. Yeah, but it's not. It's it's mm. not complicated like that at all. Just like yeah, you don't no, have to remember fair. all your contact lens mm. formulae. Yeah, no, that's fair. All right, Paul, we're almost out of time. I just wanted to say um, we do appreciate your time and um, we do uh, we do really value all the insight that you've given us. Um, any final, I guess, uh, I guess, comments on sort of, you know, where low vision is going into the future? Is there anything that's exciting you about what sort of what's coming in low vision that you've seen given how much extensive work you've done in the space and, and, uh, and, and you know, what's, 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 on the, what's on the next frontier? Well, look, I think that, it's actually a really good time to be involved with low vision or you know, mm. people early in their career. This is an area where you, 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 there, there is a lot of potential to go far. Mm -hmm. um, and partly that's because not a lot of other people are doing low vision. So it's very easy to 
um, become, you know, valuable in the sector. Um, it's an ageing population. The boomers are moving in. You know, that's going to keep the demand high for low vision work for quite a while. Um, in that age group, there's a lot of disposable income. You know, there are poor pensioners, yep. but there's also some of the wealthiest people in Australia. So, you know, it's not really true that there's no business case for this. I mean, you, you, you're not necessarily going in and doing just low vision. You're being a general optometrist, but with a sideline. Um, there's a huge amount of emotional benefit from it. I mean, you get a real sense of when, when you when you take someone from hopeless through to them seeing, understanding what's going on and understanding that there's a path forward, mm-hmm. it can be hugely rewarding. Rewarding, yeah, for sure. It's not always, but you know, yeah. it, it, it can be really, really lovely. Um, and you feel really, really valued. Sometimes it's even when you can't do anything for them, but you've been the one that's been able to, the first person to really get their vision or their vision loss and reflect that back to them and yeah. so that they they go, right, you get me, you get yeah. what's going on and now I understand why, you know, I can't just get a stronger pair of glasses and yeah. be. Um, sometimes they're hugely grateful just for that um, yeah. because it, it helps them in such a powerful emotional way. Yeah, it's the empathy as well, isn't it? Just being able to, as you say, reflect them and, uh, and even if you can't help them, to make them feel like somebody gets it. Yeah, yeah. And the realisation also that it's not just about old people. You're dealing, you know, yeah. fair, you know dominated by the elderly, but um, helping people who are of working age or young people yeah. be able to stay in work, um, thrive in work and in education and mm. reach their potential is, is um, hugely rewarding. So... Yeah, get into it. Thank you very much, Paul. No, we do really appreciate the time and the advice that you've provided us with your expertise. Um, it was understandinglowvision.com, is that right? Yeah, that's right. Nice and simple. It's um, yeah. designed for the general optometrist. It's assuming you know what you're supposed to know as an optometrist and, and taking you that extra step. Wonderful. And I'm sure we'll pro- they'll probably find contact details for yourself there, Paul, if somebody wanted to reach out. Yeah, I imagine sure. that um, that their con- your contact details will be on there. So um, please, um, if you've got any further questions, um, reach out to Paul, understandinglowvision.com. Uh, for everyone listening to us, uh, we look forward to bringing you more Institute podcasts on a monthly basis um, through the Institute of Excellence. Um, to listen to this episode and others, go to lms.optometry.org.au. Um, these are all worth CPD hours. Thanks, everyone, and uh, stay tuned until next time. Thanks, Paul. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to Optometry Australia's Institute of Excellence podcast. Don't forget to navigate to your CPD learning plan on optometry.org.au to write a reflection on this episode. To find more podcast episodes, visit the Institute of Excellence online at lms.optometry.org.au. We welcome your feedback on this episode and any subject matter suggestions for future podcast episodes. Please send your feedback and suggestions to national at optometry.org.au. Stay tuned for more in the weeks to come.